You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you to put Jesus into perspective. If you have questions about this message or about a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Uh, church, I'm, I'm just excited to, to be here this morning. Um, we don't do announcements leading into a message, but one thing I do want to say is just make sure you pay attention to the egg drop out there. What we're doing for a little bit of an Easter outreach is you, you come up with uh, a family that you, you want to see come to the church. Uh, you nominate them to be egged. We're not going to take actual eggs and just chuck them at their house. We're going to take plastic eggs with, um, there's some rules, I think it's like hard candy. So we're collecting eggs and hard candy, not pre-filled eggs, not pre-packaged eggs. Um, so you can donate it in that big basket. Nominate a friend, and then we're going to work out the details on when and where we're going to egg them. Um, and just invite them to church and they need to know that you nominated them like this needs to be like a friend of yours and not like an enemy where they're going to be like oh i don't like that person and now i don't like new hill church right so nothing like that but somebody who's in your life that you've been been investing in and want to see come to visit us on easter church we we want to see a hundred people packed in here and according to last week, that's not that crazy. And if we invite, if each one of us invites someone and intentionally invites someone, engages with them, hey, I would just love for you to come sit with me on Easter, that is, that's a low goal, church. We could, we could really blow this out of the park. And it's not because we want to see these, these seats filled just so we can say we had X amount of people on Easter. That's because we know that X amount of people faithfully heard the gospel preached that morning. And we want people to hear the gospel. So I, I, don't, I don't want to take up uh, all of this morning. We've got baby dedications, and I know Simon's ready to preach uh, almost like a little sermon on that, so uh, excited for, for that. But church, we're continuing in this series, Resurgence. Uh, it's been our, our walk through the book of Nehemiah. It's starting to come to a close. It'll end the week before Easter. Um, then we're going to have Easter, we're going to have our Resurrection Sunday here at New Hill Church, and then the following week we're going to jump into a new series that will be revealed at a later time, but I don't know about you all, but this has just been a great way for me to start the year, not just um, in, in preaching Nehemiah, but in studying Nehemiah and seeing the, the importance and the practicality, the, the relevance to today and, and to my life as a believer that we need this resurgence in our life. It, it's another word for revival, right? Gary's always like, let's do revivals. And I'm like, let's do resurgence, right? I'm like, it's, it's 2020. Like, let's just, it's the same thing. Resurgence, it's revival. Nehemiah was leading this revival. And I used to do all these recaps for us. We're getting into chapter 8. Um, so I won't go all the way back. But Nehemiah just knows that there's a great need. The walls are down. He sets out on this journey. He leverages his position with the king, King Artaxerxes, to go back and to rebuild this wall, to do this great work. And it was never really just about the wall. Amen, church? Amen? amen. Can I get a loud amen? It was not just about the wall. And if, if we think that, if we leave here thinking that, if, if we associate this book to um, a, a presidential's political campaign and building a wall, then we've missed the mark of Nehemiah. And that's not to stand on either side of the wall. It's not to stand on either side of the political campaigning, the, the political game. I'm just saying that if we take that and we uh, insert that idea, if we apply that to this, then we've missed the mark because what is happening and what we're going to see today is, is that there's something greater going on. There's this spiritual revival, not just a, a town revival of, hey, we rebuilt the wall and now our economy is going to flourish and it's just going to be amazing. No, God's people 
we're beginning then because of what Nehemiah was doing and, and answering this call to, from the Lord to go back and to do this work. People are beginning to gather around God's word again, faithfully. It's not that it had been entirely neglected, but it had been neglected into a point where they were in shame and derision. So the beauty today, what we're going to read, we're going to be in Nehemiah 8. I'll go ahead and give you guys the main point before we jump in and, and be thinking about this as we go through. We're in Nehemiah 8, picking up in verse 13. Resurgence is reason to rejoice this morning, church. Resurgence is reason to rejoice. Revival in our church, in our community, in our own life is reason to rejoice. It's reason to celebrate, to be glad and happy because it rests in what Jesus has done for us on our behalf and we can't contribute anything to it. It's done. It has finished what he has done. And we get to celebrate and to enjoy that as believers in the good news. So Nehemiah is, is pointing, pointing the people back to, to God's word. We even see Ezra. This is where um, last week you start to see Ezra back into the picture and, and he's reading the law. This is where these, these books come together, and it's really just neat to see how it plays out in history. But verse 13 picks up. I'm actually going to go back to 12. It won't be on the screen, but 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the father's house of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found in it, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, uh, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the, in the booths for the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. There was very great rejoicing, church. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. It's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning, this Lord's Day, God, that we get to wake up with an hour less of sleep, but you are still God, you are always good, and we look to you this time, God, that you would just awaken our souls, God, to, to us who are believers, God, that we would see the need to not just sit around as the, the frozen chosen, not going out, and not, not gathering around your word, not not learning your word together, 
the family you've called us to, ways that we could just do better. And God, to the person here this morning that may not know you, God, I pray that they would see the need to call on your name and to believe in the good news. God, and that the spiritual resurgence for the very first time for them would, would be an awakening that they would see that there's reason to rejoice in a fallen world because we have a hope that is eternal and everlasting. Not because of anything that we can do, but because of what Your Son Jesus did for us. So Father God, I pray for Your Spirit to just, just move in us this morning, to convict us in whatever it is, to, the, to us believers, just in, in having that resurgence and getting back on track and to the person who doesn't know You, to come to know You because of the work that You have done and continue to do in and through us. Father, I just pray that you would move in a mighty way in this time. Lead us, guide us. I pray that you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the main point, as I said before, resurgence is reason to rejoice. Resurgence is, is reason to rejoice. And you look at everything up to this point. And this is why it's very important to understand context. When you look at like everything that has led up to verse 13 and, and chapter 8, there's this resurgence, everything that's happened. And then, then you look back into 150 years of the walls being down, which means that the worship wasn't really being done faithfully for all this time. And now it's happened. They're, they're seeing this resurgence. And then you're seeing there's this great rejoicing, and, and that's why I jumped back to, to verse 12, which Simon hit on last week, and that's why I, I stopped there for us to see um, in, in verse 17 that there was a very great rejoicing because, church, there's, there's nothing to be said about resurgence, about revival, other than we should be rejoicing in what God is doing. So there's three things I want to look at with revival or resurgence. To, to help us drive home the point that resurgence is reason to rejoice. So in, in revival, when we see revival, what we understand is there, that we have to read, we have to remember, and then we have to rejoice. And this is all part of resurgence. This is what gets us to the rejoicing part, is that when we read and remember, then we can rejoice. That's resurgence. And that is the reason we celebrate together. So the first point is to read. The, the absolute most essential piece to spiritual revival is what, church? God's Word. The Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. The inspired Word of God. And it's funny because uh, Roger came with a, a, a picture for me. And it was like a meme on, on paper. Um, well, memes on paper. It's great. You could do like a book of memes and, and Roger comes in with this and it this person's praying, and it's a cartoon. You guys can see it after service uh, because I may not do it justice or maybe too much and you overthink it. So this, this person's down on their knees. Lord, speak to me. Sh show me something. Uh, speak to me. Speak to me. And then like God like, is coming out of the cloud, and it's like the Word of God. It's like, I have. Right? It's right here. <laughs> I did speak. I don't need to speak anymore. Right? I've said everything that needs to be said. That's it. It's right here. And see, sometimes... It's difficult for us to understand because we mess up in our speech, right? Like we need to, for me, I'm a verbal processor. So I will say in 2,500 words, 
what some of you might be able to, to articulate in, in five words, right? And like, that's good. Well, God's word is sufficient, and the canon is closed. God doesn't need to add anything else. We have everything we need in this right here, church. If you have your Bible with, with me, can you just raise it up real quick? Even if it's a scripture journal, it's great. Cool. Phones, great. That's your, you got it. Matt's got his iPad that he keeps in his back pocket. That's impressive. Um, I was worried seeing him walk in thinking it would pop out of his back pocket. I can barely keep my wallet in my pocket. That's great. So we love the Word of God here. So if we are going to pray for and to seek spiritual resurgence, we first need to read God's Word. This section is coming off of Ezra and the other teachers, the, the Levite teachers that it talks about in, in the beginning part of chapter 8. They're reading and teaching God's Word. We see everything is finally coming together. It's not just about this build the wall. It's, it's, it's getting to the purpose of why the wall was built. So that the people could come together to gather around God's word, to, to worship together. And so we see here in verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra and uh, Ezra the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. So they're coming together to study the word of God. The people are not taking this for granted. Right? They've, they've had all this time being out of, of communion and out of fellowship with God out of fellowship with the, the people. They've been living in derision and in shame and the walls are up. And what are they doing? They're reading the Word of God again. Like, you know how disheartening that would have been for, for Nehemiah to come on this journey only to get the walls up? And the people are like, man, this is great. We're comfortable. Right? We can't be attacked by the outsiders. The, the gates are all up. We, we no longer have a weak spot. But the spot, the, the, the most important part for us, church, is our souls. It's our, our spirit, that, that we would be growing in our love and understanding for God. And the only way that's going to happen is, is if we're in His Word that teaches us about who He is and what He would have us to do in this life. So they're not taking this for granted. The walls are up. And what, are, what are God's people doing? They're reading. You see, if we really want to see resurgence, we must turn to God's Word. We must take up and read. Charles Spurgeon says this about the Bible. Many books in my library are now behind and beneath me. They were good in their way once, and so were the clothes I wore when I was 10 years old. But I've outgrown them. Nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. And that's why it is so beautiful being here in a multi-generational church to hear the generations that are, are way, way beyond me, right? To, to tell me, and, and you guys know that you've had these conversations with me, that, that the Word of God is still still moving in your life, that you see just things that you just weren't seeing at my age, and to be able to get that wisdom from you and, and, and to try and understand. That's why we teach one another. That's why we, we do life with one another through groups, because we have different perspectives of life, but all of them are putting Jesus into perspective. Every one of them. And it doesn't matter if you're, you're here and, and you know, our babies that are going to be dedicated today. The they don't even know their sin yet. 
compared to the generations that, that have grandbabies now, and they're speaking into to my life to, to tell me the things that they've dealt with in their time and in their years and, and things that were obstacles for them, for you guys. But all of it is, is, is to be rooted in God's Word. You see, we have no perspective, no trustworthy perspective outside of the Bible. You see, we talk about science and, and just different philosophies. Look, they come and go. They're called theories. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to enjoy science, but it's, it's very important to start with the Word of God that has not failed ever. And we stick to it. I mean, I, I absolutely love that, that quote. We, we outgrow our clothes, we outgrow our books, but we never outgrow the Word of God. We still learn from it. Look, it's not teaching anything new compared to when you were 20 and maybe you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever you might be. It's just that, that God is, is showing us the intended meaning in different ways at different times that that something you might be going through, it stands out to you a little bit more because it, it means a little bit more in that season of life. So they're spending time reading God's Word. And in verse 14, they're reading it. So if you read something, if you go out and do something, you're going to find something, right? This is what they found. They found, found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all of their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. What do you know? When we spend time in God's Word, we find commands that we are to observe. You see, there's, there are actually... Some things for us to be doing as believers. It's not just to read the Bible, but when we read the Bible, it tells us actually how we should walk and talk in our everyday life. The, the speech that should come out of our mouth when we speak to other people, the good news of Jesus Christ. The way we interact with people with our hands and feet without ever opening a word, do they see Christ-like behavior? We find these commands in the Bible. There are actually some things for us to be doing, even for us today. We open up our Bible and we find things that God has commanded us. A piece often forgotten and neglected in the Great Commission is where it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. It's not just go baptize all nations, right? Teaching them to um, you know, believe in the gospel, right? It's not just go and just baptize teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you always. We can't miss that. We cannot miss that mark. That's actually why we put it in our strategy as a church, the HOPE acronym, to honor God in all that we do and observe all the things that He's commanded us, provide to the needs of others, and extend the offer that's been extended to us. We understand the importance. That's why we... we, we um, go through expository preaching. We, we exposit the text. We're going verse by verse. That's why Simon gets up and reads 90 verses on a Sunday. That's why I got up and read 60 verses. And we can think it's, it's 
boring we can think that, that these guys need to, to work on their pronunciations. Look, we may botch the pronunciations. I did. Simon may have. The recording was lost. So as far as I know, he did it perfectly. And however he said it is how we must say it. But we understand that the word of God, every word, every name, every genealogy is important and means something. It's the word of God. So we read it and we learn from it. See, we have not been given the simple task of proclaiming the gospel, but also to disciple other believers, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And in the law, they found it written down, the command to Moses for the people of Israel to observe the feast of booths. What is the feast of booths, you may ask? Leviticus 23, verses 42 and 43. You can write this down for later. It won't be on the screen. But what it says is, you must live in the booths for seven days. All the natives uh, in Israel must live in the booths so that your generation shall know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them from the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Simply put, this celebration was a time to remember being in the wilderness between being led out of Egypt, out of uh, slavery of 400 years, out of that captivity, no longer slaves, right, physically to them. Like, we can read that or sing that song spiritually, and we're like, we've been set free from the bondage of sin. God set them free from actual bondage, and they were to remember this time between being led out of Egypt and waiting for the promised land, the land that God had, had promised them. So I've got... Two questions I really want to ask us here within this point of, of reading the Word and, and understanding that, that resurgence is reason to rejoice. Are we regularly reading God's Word? Again, I, I try and just make it so simple for us because the Bible doesn't say you've got to read so much in a day. It doesn't mean, say you have to read so much in a year. But the, the Bible teaches us the importance. It teaches us its own authority. Like, it, it stands on its own. But are we, are we reading it? Like, I mean, like, are you reading six verses a day? That's not a lot. Like, there's less than six verses in the, the rants we love to read on Facebook. I love reading rants on Facebook, but I also understand that there's a balance. I love it, yeah, for sure. It's fun. It's entertaining to us, right? We can be real. Amen, church? Facebook is entertaining to us because we, we get to watch other people bicker and go back and forth about whatever they want to that day. But are we regularly reading God's Word? Diving in one psalm a day, one, one chapter a day, one section, right? We, we have the luxury now in our, our translations that we, we have these breakdowns, right? Where it'll say, this is like a natural break. So the, there's a topic change between verses 11 and 12. So you can just read those first 11 verses. It doesn't have to be overwhelming, but it should be enjoyable, right? The, the Word of God should just be something that satisfies your soul. It shouldn't be like a chore or a task that we have to do. Are we regularly reading God's Word? Are you listening to it? If you drive, if you commute, make the most of your time. I'm not saying you have to... I love sitting down with the Bible, but sometimes I understand that time doesn't allow me to do that in a day. Listen to it. Are we gathering around the Word together? If you're here today, I would say yes. Right? You can, yep, sure am. Lost an hour of sleep, still here. Amen. 
but are we regularly gathering around it together? Not for the sake of tradition, but edification through worship. That we wouldn't just be meeting because it's something that we, we know that we're supposed to do, but something we, we long to do, that we enjoy doing. We are to read God's Word and, and to find satisfaction in it. And, and coming from a little bit of a, a transition here from uh, read to this next point. When I, was, um, when I was younger, when I was a kid, it was about middle school, and I found out that my friend was like stupid rich. Like, like burn money in front of you and it like wouldn't bother him, right, Simon? You know what I'm saying? So... Um, Simon and I have a joke. He's not saying Simon can burn money in front of me and like just like smile at me. That's not what he's saying. So make that clear. I understood how that could be perceived, Simon. People might be asking you for favors after this service. I don't know. But my friend's dad could actually do that. Not, not, not you. I should just skip this point. So my, my friend's dad was very wealthy, and he did a lot to, to earn that, right? He he went out and, and his family had, had started a business. And, and not only that, but he didn't see that as a sustainable future for himself. So he, he started investing in stocks and, and in, into other businesses and entrepreneurs. And he did very well for himself. And I remember going to their house and he's giving me a tour. And I'm like, this place is an inn. Like, my house is as big as the kitchen. This is great. I'm like, walking around, he takes me up to like the fourth floor. I'm like, four floors? It's crazy. I get up there and I'm like, why is there a pillow on the floor? He's like, my dad actually sleeps up here sometime. I'm like, my dad does too. You know, like, sometimes we, we sleep on the floor. We get in trouble. He's like, no, no, no. It's not like that. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And he said, my dad, my dad likes to take time every now and then to go up here and to sleep on the floor. He's out of the way, and he can think up here. He doesn't hear the kids going crazy. But it reminds him by sleeping on the floor of where he was. You see, he takes time. He could, he could read the history of his, his own life, but his dad needed to step into this remembering state, this, this state of remembrance where he's, he's remembering where he came from, what he was in, the poverty that his family lived in, and where he is today. And that's our second point for driving this home is, is remember. It's so important for us to not forget the, the past that we, the, the life that we once lived, the, the past that once held us, right? And bondage, our sin, our flesh. Just as my friends, that is just such a great thing. Like, I remember just being 13, I'm like, wow, like, if I had the bed you guys had, like in the guest room, I would never sleep on the floor. But it was this, this time for him to be able to remember where he was, and to not forget that, and to always have that drive for him. And there's a great book, Reforming Joy, by um, I think Tim Chester. Um, I just absolutely recommend it because we as Christians need to remember our past, but we need to keep this joy going forward because of what Christ has has brought us out of. See, the remembrance here was surely beyond what um, what ways. Um, had held them into the past. Their, their remembrance was, was on to the fact that, that they had a, a rich history with God and they were getting back to it. That, that God had, had brought them out of slavery, had, had brought them out of the wilderness and into the promised land, and, and they specifically had almost gone back into it. It was like the second state of captivity with the Babylonian exile. And then they come back to the land, but they're not 
flourishing. They're living in shame. They've got this rich history that they can look back at and see what God has brought them out of. They've got such a great understanding of this truth to remember and then what it leads us to rejoicing, which we'll get to later. See, the Jews had celebrated this feast proudly for many years. And now they're rekindling their understanding as they speak. They seek spiritual resurgence through reading and remembering. Verse 16 continues on. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of um, Ephraim and the assembly going too far. No, I didn't. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths uh, from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. The people remember and act on the Word of God. They remember not only where they had been not so long ago, but they remember the very fact that their ancestors had once been held in captivity for 400 years. That's what this feast was about, to, to remember that time that God had brought them out and that time that they lived in the wilderness before entering into the promised land. They remember it, and they're reading it in God's Word. And you're beginning to see them faithfully following the law again. You see them faithfully, not just reading, but remembering the, the past that they once lived. Opposing God and rebellion to God. This is exactly what this entire resurgence is about. And that's what it should be for us. When we seek resurgence, when we, when we seek revival here within our own church family, within the context of this community, our hope shouldn't be that, that our church grows, but the kingdom grows. And the kingdom will only grow when we are reading God's word. And then we, if we're going to seek it, need to remember what God has brought us out of. We need to remember God's Word and, and what we've been through and, and how He saved us. It wasn't about the hearts of the people, but rather the intentions of man. In reading and spending time in the Word, we remember where we were and where God has brought us. We remember where God has brought us. And the Bible, it does not paint this, this picture of a better you for tomorrow. If you follow this five-step plan, the Bible doesn't tell you to do you whatever you want to do. Just do it. You do you. Take care of you. The Bible does not teach anything other than our need for Jesus and to trust in what He did that we could never do and we do not deserve. The narrative of Scripture is so beautiful and to relate this to the feast, they'd been in slavery back when we were reading Leviticus. The reason of, that this all started is they had been in slavery under Pharaohs for 400 years in Egypt. God delivers them. Then, they're in the wilderness for a long time before entering into the promised land. Uh, the, the land that was promised to them. And this feast is to remind them of their great provider, God Almighty. See, so often we, we enter into the promised land and it's like the past is the past and we're living 
living a life of luxury now. And this feast is almost this time of humbling yourself to realize that God could have left us in the wilderness. God could have done whatever He wanted, but by His good grace, by His sovereign choice, He brought His people out. They were being disobedient. He could have left His people to... He could have split, split the sea and then crushed them in it. But He didn't. So this feast is to remind them, just as my friend's dad was reminding himself, hey, I can sleep in a California king-size bed with the, the most soft sheets ever, but I can also take one night a week to remind myself of where I came from so that I don't soon forget it and I can keep driving forward. We shouldn't forget how we once lived according to the flesh and, and we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Don't soon forget that and then pursue Him through reading His Word and remembering what He's done for us. Ephesians paints this picture that we were dead, but He gave us life. Church, can you say dead? Say life. We were dead. and He gave us life. Romans 5 talks about while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this isn't... This isn't doing something for, for somebody who's nice to you. It's not like, hey, you gave me 10, I'm going to repay the favor. No. This is, we were dead, we were in rebellion against God, couldn't do anything, and He died for us. In doing so, He proved His love. While we had done nothing good or bad. What a great God. We were sinners opposed to God. Maybe today you're here and, and you're, you're living and, and sin. Look, we're all sinners, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. I don't care if you know Jesus or not, you still sin. We fight against that as believers because we have the Spirit living inside of us, convicting us and directing us. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then you're, you're living in, in complete rebellion against Him. And we should see in his, his Word that He is calling us through the good news of Jesus Christ. We read in the Scripture, we read it. We read it in Scripture that we are sinners opposed to God. We read it. And we must not soon forget His goodness in saving our wretched souls. So my question for us here, how are we remembering the past God brought us out of without dwelling in it? How are we remembering the past that God brought us out of without dwelling in it? You see, a problem is we don't want to look at the past. We don't want to remember the past that we were in because we're like, well, then we're going to dwell in it and like we just think about it too much. And when we remember the past, it's to point us to the future that we have because of Christ. It's to remember that He brought us out of that. That He didn't just leave us in our sin. He didn't just leave us in our state of death, but gave us life through His Son. Jesus said, I, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. So not just have it, not be dead and come to life, but have life abundantly, everlasting, eternal joy through Jesus Christ. How are we remembering the past God brought us out of without dwelling in it? We should see our past, but we should not covet it. We should not wish that we were still in it. We should not miss the old life that Christ brought us out of. Because when you 
when you tie in the past to the fact that it says that our past before Christ was death, that's nothing to be excited about. We should read His Word and remember how He has changed and saved His people. Do not forget that because when we remember our past, when we see our fallen state, when we used to live according to the flesh, and what Christ has done for us, and how He brought us out of that, how He gave us life when we did not deserve it, it gives us reason and leads us to a state of rejoicing. That we, church, should rejoice because resurgence, revival, spiritual revival, when you come to know Jesus, that revival, that resurgence, it is reason to rejoice. If you've been a, a believer for 45 years, and you just feel like the, the Jews have been taken out of you, look at your past and look at all the steps in between, remember that, remember the crud of it, remember the good of it, and rejoice because of it, because of what he's doing. He not only saved you, but he's sanctifying you, right? That, that we don't try to go back to the ways of our flesh. We don't try to go back to, to our past, but we would walk in, in fellowship and communion with God through reading his word, through the fellowship of believers, by gathering with our church family, by doing life together in groups, by going out and doing outreach, whatever it might be, that we would, we would grow and remember that God is good and He deserves the glory forever and ever. Church, we should rejoice because of what He's done for us. Verse 17, all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity. Look at that. Who had returned from the captivity. They were captive. They made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day, if you look, that's a long period of time, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. Now, you can look, and you can even look in history. It's not that they didn't do it at all, right? It's not that they didn't do it at all but they hadn't fully understood it until this moment. That this moment, because of what they just went through, look, they were in captivity in Egypt. God brought them out. They had some time in the wilderness and waited for the promised land. And this feast is to remind them of the in-between time. To humble them, to remind them that, that God is good. And you look at what they did in that time, in the wilderness, opposing God. Crazy. But now, they very much relate to it because they were in captivity. They were taken out of the land that God had given them. And then they started to be sent back. Like, okay, yeah, you can go back. They get back and they're not really working on the wall. Then you see some of these other leaders, Ezra and some other folks, they start coming in and they rebuild the temple. They're like, hey, we need to restore worship. They don't finish the wall. Then Nehemiah comes in and finishes the wall. They get it done. And they're able to relate to that captive state. It, it just makes so much more sense to them now because they've actually gone through it. So it's not that, that this feast, that this, this celebration had, had been just neglected altogether, but that it meant more. Baseball is, is getting ready to come back on. Can I get an amen, Pastor John? Baseball, I, I know Pastor John gets really excited. Um, he loves some baseball. Um, it comes on every year. People enjoy it. Some people don't. 
whatever it might be. Baseball hasn't been neglected. But if you all remember after 9-11, when President Bush went out to throw the first pitch, it was just, that was a, an iconic moment in all of history. And I think he didn't even botch the throw. It was a strike. And he threw it. And it, I'll tell you something. It wasn't about President Bush. It wasn't about the Yankees. It wasn't about the people in attendance. It was about the people, the nation, uniting together in a time of tragedy. Baseball had been going on. First pitches happen every game. But that one meant more. The reason they are rejoicing is not because it's been neglected, but that they have a better understanding of what exactly God is doing for them and what God has done for their ancestors. And not only that, but a reason to rejoice is we know what God is doing in the future. That He's continuing to save people. That He is going to bring us out of the captivity of the fallen world that wants to, to strike at God's people and bring us into His eternal kingdom where nothing, nothing will bring His people down. We get to live in everlasting joy because of what the Son did for us. And day by day, it says in verse 18, and day by day, from the first day to the last, this feast of seven days, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So they're gathering together. They're not done. They're not done. They continue to gather on the Word. I'll tell you something. They end up falling back. You, you see this over and over again, and we see this within our own lives, is that we, we take one step forward and then two steps back, right? But let me say something. Jesus, Jesus has set us free. He's, he's called us into this church. Not only that, but church, we have the luxury today of having the holy God, Yahweh, our God, His Spirit living inside of us. We are the temple. We can move buildings. We can, we can get rid of buildings altogether and meet in the park. And guess what? We are still the church. Guess what? When you leave here today, you, the individual, you are still the church. We together are the church. And we have a great hope in that. And let me just say this. As we go out this week, as we go to put Jesus into perspective, remember resurgence is reason to rejoice. Maybe that starts with evangelism for you and sharing the good news with people. Trying to lead them into the, the grace of God to teach them the things that God has commanded. Rejoice because of what He's doing. Don't think that there's no hope for the person that you were witnessing to because someone may have thought there was no hope for you. But someone shared the good news. And God saved your soul. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. Church, I just, I, I just want to pray for us, and, and I just want to spend a, a time just reflecting within this first song. If you've got kids, too, we're going to have a child dedication. Sometime during those two songs, if you could, just go grab your kiddos. 
But I want us to, to reflect on, on that very truth. The, the main point from today is that resurgence is reason to rejoice. What God is doing, what God has brought us out of, what God's going to continue to bring fallen people out of, is reason to rejoice, to shout with joy. We should be thankful for that. Pray, church. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for, thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for his boldness. And, and God, I thank you for that because I know it was you working through him. God, we can't take credit for anything, but, but Nehemiah was faithful to the call that you placed on his life. God, and you worked in and through him in a mighty way. And I pray that, that we would all see that it's not about one man, but it's about the team that Nehemiah was working, that Ezra was working, that the people were working, the people were obedient to getting the, the wall up and finished. <clears throat> Back in, in Ezra, that the people worked together to, to get the temple up and finished. But God, that they did not stop there, that they, they began to read your word day by day, and I pray that that would be us today. Moving forward, that we would see the importance to read, to remember, and to rejoice in your word. To rejoice in the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And I pray that as we feel that, as we see that, we could go out and to be a light into this dark world and that people, because of you, would be saved that we would be faithful in sharing and we'd be faithful in our patience knowing that you are the only one that can save. We are trusting in you to lead us together in a spiritual resurgence. We pray for all of Medina right now, those that don't know you, that they would come to know you. God, and, and we don't care if it's through the ministry of New Hill Church. We just care that your kingdom grows and that churches faithfully proclaim the gospel and to you be the glory. God, that you would get the glory, that you would receive the honor, and that we could step back and just rejoice that you are saving wretched sinners like me. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.